Hello everybody and welcome to the Let's All Talk Fertility podcast brought to you by The Fertility Show. For this podcast we're heading over to the Let's All Talk Fertility Lounge at The Fertility Show 2023. The show brought together some fantastic people from across the world of fertility. On our Let's All Talk Fertility stage this year some fabulous people shared their own fertility experiences while also giving help and advice to those who needed it. Before we head over to the stage, I just want to take a moment to talk about Randox Health. They've formed a range of female health and fertility blood tests designed for women at every stage of life. A great one that many of you may need to hear about now is their fertility health package. The bloods for this measure over 45 data points, which will go a long way to helping you understand your hormones and ovarian reserve better. Then there's the standalone female hormone health test, which will help you find out if a hormone imbalance could be affecting your mood, weight or energy levels. They've also got a test for polycystic ovarian syndrome, which will give you some answers so then you can get treatment. Then moving into their general tests, their menopause or every woman full body health test ranges from hormonal health to heart health to digestive health and much more besides. All these tests help a woman learn so much more about their bodies so they can act quicker. And as I always say, knowledge is power, people. So if you'd like to try out one of these female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to get you 10% off any test you need. But now back to the podcast and for this episode, we shall be hearing from some brilliant people discussing their route to parenthood. Carla Cressy, Karina Dimon and Laura Rose Thorogood have all experienced their own infertility conditions and are now shouting from the rooftops to try and help others, be that with female health conditions such as endometriosis, surrogacy and donor conception or within the LGBTQ plus community. Let's head over to hear them now. Karina, we always say this, you've got many hats on, you're like a hat stand. Um, briefly, if you wouldn't mind telling us why you're in this space today. Yeah, so um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 33 years old and that resulted in um, premature infertility. I then went through heart failure when I was 36, which meant I would be unable to carry a pregnancy and both those illnesses were a result of a cancer diagnosis. Um, I did preserve my fertility by collecting some eggs before I started chemo, um, but because of my heart failure, I couldn't get pregnant and we knew we'd have to look to alternate routes to motherhood. Um, we began researching surrogacy um, and my first daughter is born through UK independent surrogacy using my own embryos. Um, on a sibling journey we had no further embryos and decided we still wanted to have more children um, and went down egg donation. We chose known egg donation so we got to meet our egg donor, had our IVF overseas but using our UK based um, surrogate. And I now am the founder of an organization called The Intended Parent that offers support to anyone going through a surrogacy journey and um, the tools they need to navigate it successfully here in the UK um, within the framework that we have to work in. Thank you, Karina. Laura Rose. Um, I'm Laura Rose. I'm the founder of LGBT Mummies and we're a global organization that supports LGBTQ plus women and non-binary people that identify as mums on the path to motherhood or parenthood. And that was born out of a 12-year fertility journey for me and my wife. Um, we have three children plus one on the way. We're very blessed. So we had um, five attempts at IUI for our first and a miscarriage. Um, our second was two rounds of IUI and then third just before lockdown I had three IUIs that failed 
and at the age of 35 was told that I had secondary infertility. Um, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I ate well, and we couldn't find out why. Um, so we moved to IVF, lockdown hit, it got cancelled, um, and then spent that time trying to physically, psychologically prepare for IVF, which I'd never physically had before, and had a fresh transfer, two embryos were transferred, my egg reserve was rubbish, and it failed. And then on the fifth attempt, we got our daughter. And then we decided to extend our family final time, and my wife is currently pregnant with IVF, um, and we're having a little girl in October. Um, and I have to say that was only down to the fact that we use a great clinic, CRGH, who have looked after us for the past 12 years, but also Anxitec, our sperm, uh, donor um, bank but also we used and I think she's here today and I have to do a shout out to her because she's unbelievable um, Melanie Brown a fertility nutritionist because she changed the whole concept of our IVF and my wife is the age of 40 and she got 24 um, follicles it came out as 14 in the end and then with PGTA testing we got nine at the age of 40 which is absolutely unbelievable my wife's a Trojan but because of our journey and the difficulties as an LGBTQ plus couple that we went through, we wanted to support other people so that they weren't isolated. They had a sense of community to share lived experience. So we have a community of support groups and people that can share their experience, but we also do policy, campaign work, education and training with the NHS, the government, to support people like us and make sure we're represented and valid in the community and society. So, Thank you. Yeah. And Carla, your journey isn't over when it comes to fertility. You haven't yet had a, a child, but you have taken steps through your endometriosis to try and protect that. Can you tell us about your egg freezing journey because of the endometriosis? Yeah, so my endometriosis diagnosis came around really late, around over a decade after I first saw a gynecologist. So I had this quite of a, a challenging process to diagnosis but by the time I was diagnosed I had stage 4 endometriosis frozen pelvis disease so it was clear that I had to go under surgery to remove at least both my fallopian tubes and, and definitely an ovary so straight away I knew okay I need to freeze my eggs. Had I known about the effects endometriosis could have on fertility I wish I'd known and I would have froze them a lot sooner um, but I did go through the process and I also went with CRGH um, and I managed to get four follicles, but we only need one, so being positive. Um, and then by the time I'd kind of completed that treatment, uh, my endometriosis had progressed. So then I had, I kind of went down this whole lengthy journey of surgeries. I'm now eight surgeries in um, and I had to have uh, a total hysterectomy, kind of everything removed. So my journey to motherhood will be through surrogacy. Um, but whilst going through that journey, I also set up the Endometriosis Foundation, which is um, a real community-led charity, and we're very much kind of setting support groups and awareness, education, and some policy work there too. Carla, I'm interested to talk to you about how you navigate the emotions around infertility, because at the moment for you, the future's unknown. What are your coping strategies? Um, I think... For a while, I, I, I think I lost the plot for a little while, uh, as we all do. Um, I kind of reached out to various different psychologists and counsellors. And what I found was, because when I had my diagnosis, it wasn't just an infertility diagnosis. It was, I had the bladder, endometriosis, the bowel. So I went through, I had a stoma for about 18 months. I had my bladder reconstructed and the hysterectomy, the infertility. There was a lot going on at one time. Um, and also one of my surgeries was quite dramatic quite um, dramatic and I was in the hospital for about four weeks 
and there was a time where they actually called my family to say goodbye because I was septic, I was really, really poorly. So I developed this kind of panic disorder and this terrible chronic anxiety and there was just a lot going on. But I just couldn't find the right support and I actually reached out to a local charity um, and I started volunteering and I, it was just all in nature, just spending time outdoors and that really helped me because I was so, I was just stuck in the house all the time and I was, you know, setting up this foundation and just sat at my computer reading books, writing, it just, just not, it just wasn't healthy. Um, so just getting outdoors and also engaging in community as well and speaking to other people has really helped. But it is, it can be so, and even now, I mean, I'm a few years into it, um, but there's still certain things, certain days, certain, certain conversations that can make me feel a certain way. Um, so it is just kind of being in tune with yourself and just knowing, okay, I feel a bit down today. I'm going to keep myself away from certain people or, you know, children or whatever. And Laura Rose, if you take the microphone, during your infertility struggles, what did you do to try and distract yourself or to, to deal with it? I think at the time, because obviously we'd already been successful with having two children, you know, we knew we were incredibly lucky, much more fortunate in many cases than other people that we knew that we supported. So I had to take myself back and together, take ourselves back to the point of we are really lucky, we know we want to extend our family, but look at the people that aren't so lucky and what does that look like? So putting my big girl pants on and going, you know, you've got to get on with it, um, I think really helped, plus COVID had hit. We, it was the first lockdown, so we didn't know what that would look like. How long would my fertility hold up? So it was that sense of hysteria and panic. And I think I did all the things that we tell others in our community to not do. You know, the Googling, the temperature checking. I was temperature checking my kids at one point. My wife went, you need to stop. And because I was so desperate for us to extend our family, and I felt like my body had failed, and I knew it hadn't failed, because it's the stuff we tell others. But in, in that moment, you just blindsided by this desperation to get pregnant and so I had to take stock you know realize you know there were people out there much worse off that were having an incredibly difficult time that I needed to be there for and we needed to support and that helped me because I think that really helped me through to know what what it really could look like and also getting psychologically and physically fit during lockdown that really helped me to get myself prepared for IVF because it was something it was an unknown physically um, so that was really important but I think again breaking down the stigma of infertility or secondary infertility more so that actually it doesn't matter if you're healthy it doesn't matter if you don't smoke you know all these questions you have but why me why why is it happening it can happen to anyone and there can be no rhyme or reason for it and i think when we talk about secondary infertility you're told yeah, you're, you're told very lucky you're very lucky and it, i don't think it's as understood as it should be because it's still something that you're not allowed to do because your body has essentially got a condition so it's it's not given the respect it deserves I feel it's also quite difficult because any fertility journey you know everyone has opinions and specifically around if you have children already but then it's like why don't you go down on the adoption route or fostering but everyone wants to give you guidance on what you should be doing instead instead of saying I'm really sorry that's really hard how can I support you better in your community um the LGBTQ plus community will immediately find themselves on a fertility struggle if they want children they're immediately catapulted into this world uh, healthy or not healthy what support do you give people in that situation 
guidance and links to really reputable LGBT plus inclusive organisations that are a safe space at the moment, the political climate, the social landscape. It's really quite scary at the moment for our families, us as people, and especially trans and non-binary people to go on that journey and know that half the country are fighting to debate your existence. So to then go on a fertility or parenting journey and then be on the back foot, have all the barriers, implications, lack of funding, finances, getting into debt, lack of acceptance, like they're so great and you haven't even started yet. So having those safe spaces to find the right people to partner with, to say you're the right clinic, you're the right surrogacy company, you're the right sperm bank that I know I'll be safe in is a really huge deal. But also the microaggressions that you go through. No one told me on our journey that someone would say, you're not the real mum. And I only learnt that in hospital when our daughter had been born and the doctor wouldn't deal with me, which led to years of bonding issues, difficulties with relationships. You know, it was really incredibly difficult, but no one told me that. We want to have those uncomfortable conversations with our community and say, this is what you could face, but how do you deal with it positively? And how do you negate that moving forward to make sure you have a positive experience? To have how your do family. you deal with somebody saying that? And why on a, I mean, Karina, you probably had the same. Karina, of course, you've used a surrogate for your, to have you, all your children. Has someone said that to you? Yeah, I think one of the most hurtful comments I had was when it came to my, um, so my second pregnancy resulted in triplets. Um, and their donor can see surrogacy carried triplets, who I'm incredibly proud of. But one of the most hurtful things that was said to me was um, adopt, don't shop, <clears throat> in reference to my children, that I should have adopted and I shouldn't have shopped and bought them. And I find it really um, triggering to, to, to have to justify that. But one of the things I'll always say is that, A, that is absolutely derogatory to anyone who does choose adoption as a route to parenthood because it's incredibly it's incredibly complex. It takes such grit and resilience and tenacity to go down that route that not all of us are equipped with that and not all of us um, will necessarily follow that path. But I will also say that being infertile does not mean you have to carry the burden of the world's unadopted children. Because if someone says to me, why did you not adopt? I will say to you as a regular person who's conceived naturally, why did you not? Because my desire to procreate did not stop to exist because I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and therefore my desire to bring my children to life in the way that I choose to bring them to life is my decision. I can say that now with confidence having brought my children to life, but it broke me. You know, those comments broke me and the inability to carry a child in my womb still haunts me um, and the lack of genetics still sometimes triggers me. And being a person from the South Asian community where this isn't spoken about, often I feel incredibly lonely as well. Um, so part of my reason for being here and for sharing this story is to let people see that there is a person like them out there and there is a route to parenthood when everyone else tells you every other door is closed um, and that it will take resilience, it will take grit, it will take a lot of vulnerability and you sometimes will have to put your heart out there, it will get crushed, but I promise you when you manage to find your miracle babies, it will get rebuilt again. Oh. Such a wonderful speaker. You, well, honestly, you're all brilliant, but that was wonderful. Thank you. Karina, you have your first stand here at the show, and we're so delighted to have you. What's your goal? What we want to do is let people know that there is another way to becoming a parent through surrogacy. I think in the UK, we hear so much of agencies that exist, and you know, agencies will find you a way to match with a surrogate. But the truth is there's also independent surrogacy. My children are born through independent surrogacy. Tell us what that means. What that means is 
going out there and finding your surrogate yourself. It could be a family member or a friend, or you could join forums on social media where we have independent communities of surrogates and intended parents getting to know one another. Um, and the point is that for me, you know, when I was on my journey, surrogacy agencies closed their doors because their ratios were out. So quite often if they've got sort of one surrogate, they'll only take on three couples so that they don't get over-ratioed. Or cost is a real barrier because we're talking about, you know, agency sign-up fees of 2,000 at the lower end where you're, you're just getting a, a platform to talk to people, not, not much further support, or 15,000 on the top end. And that's before your fertility costs, your surrogacy expenses, and, and you can get costed out. So for us, we wanted to create a hybrid model that people can pick and choose the support they need. So we have a free podcast, which is a totally free resource. We have some online resources that are totally free to come on and download. And then we have pick and choose online e-courses which launched this autumn where you can choose if you're just starting out, you'll pay a few hundred pounds to download a course, run through it and say, is this right for me? And if you choose to do it independently, we have a meteor second course where we'll say, right, this is who you need to speak to, a lawyer, a, a counsellor, an a egg donor agency. We don't want to be your... We don't want to control your journey because I believe that that's in your hands. You steer your ship to your children. But we want to be supportive in the way that we wish we were held. So it's very much through the heart and through connection than any form of ownership or profitability of any sort. I'm proud to say that people have already asked, where, where can we find out about surrogacy? It's very needed. How many people have come to you already? We didn't, we didn't expect it. We thought, we thought we'd be a really quiet stall, but we haven't stopped talking all day today. And I think... You know, the, the, the acknowledgement in that is that this route to parenthood is being more and more accepted and that conversations are being more and more vocalised and stories of hope are becoming more and more apparent. And that really is all we want to do is, like, put out these stories of hope for the people who are told that they can't have children because I sit here as a woman who didn't have any eggs to, to harvest and who didn't have a womb to grow them in and who adoption wasn't the right route to parenthood for, yet I have four miracle children and I want to be that story of hope for anyone oh, who comes across us. That's exactly what this lounge is about. It's about giving people hope and also the, the means on, on doing what they need to do. And Laura Rose, you obviously set up LGBTQ+, or it's just LGBT mummies, isn't it? Are you going to add the Q+. <laughs> We just went for a rebrand last year. But, of course, everyone that we support is within that community. Of course. I have to ask this. I'm sure you asked it a lot. And I just feel bad even saying it, but I'm sure people say, just go and have sex with a, somebody the, all the time the, all the time it must be hugely insulting to hear that you'd be surprised the things I feel that awkward other people saying it, no, but I but can imagine it's a question it's awkward being said it too um, we do a series called, called they said what and we get people sharing on our private support groups the awful things that what, they've been what told what have you been told by healthcare professionals as well you know by a midwife wouldn't it have been cheaper to have a one night stand or the why don't you just adopt or I'm sure there's a family member or friend that could help you out and do something in a cup for you you know it, it gets quite gruesome but at the end of the day if people feel that comfortable saying it, it like you said you flip it back around and go well why didn't you do that then you know if, if that's the route that you think is okay for me is it right for you people don't know what to say at that point but sometimes saying that to some people you know I'm very forthright and forthcoming and happy to go and put that question back at someone and reflect that back but there are people that's quite triggering for and upsetting and might be in a difficult position that they don't want to advocate for themselves they struggle to so I think it's about 
people being mindful that our community aren't there. We're not a spectacle, you know. We are here. We need support. We need guidance. We have the right to exist, but in a safe way. And if we want to have children, by whatever route, each route should be celebrated. Like you said, adoption, fostering are wonderful routes, but they're not going to be right for everyone. They weren't right for us. And of course, for different routes, you have to be a particular type of person and feel that that's the right route for you. And are you fighting very rightly for NHS to fund treatment for your community? We've been fighting that for the last decade. And when it come, came to the Women's Health Strategy, we were heavily involved with that, with Stonewall and other organisations. And last August, we all celebrated. I cried my eyes out, was absolutely screaming around the kitchen. We've got it. We've finally got it. For all those people that came after us, we never got access to funding. We spent in excess of about 50k. We were living on £50 a week between us after our bills. You know, people think, you've got four kids, it must be easy, you must be able to afford it. No, we struggled. We ate rubbish for ages. We didn't go anywhere. We were so desperate to have our family. So knowing that we could have made that change to help others not go through what we went through was so crucial. So when the Women's Health Strategy came out and we all celebrated and we took stock, and we went through it over and over, and I said, this doesn't feel right. The language is evasive, it's very vague. Ambition, 10-year plan, in the tenure of the plan. So we met with the Department of Health and Social Care. We sat down and we said, what, what does this look like? There's people you've left out, gay dads, other trans men, you know, single women and people in certain areas. What, what, what does that look like? And the long and short of it is, it's smoke and mirrors, it's a delay. It's not what it says on the tin. Three ICBs in the whole of the UK out of 46 currently fund LGBTQ+. Same-sex couples, mind you, is the language they use. Again, we push back. Trans, non-binary people, where do they sit? They get access, they just couldn't be bothered to change their language. Or talk to our community and say, what does, what does that need to look like? So at the moment, we've had to start all over again and start those conversations off and meeting and reviewing with every single ICB where we can to say, what are you doing about it? How are you using your budget? Are you going to exclude us once again? And we get the same thing. It's literally copy and paste. It's like the, the big boys in that top board have all sat around and said, what do we do? We're getting sued left, right and centre. The, the community, the gay community, LGBTQs, that you know, they're suing us. What do we do? And it's almost like they all sat around and went, okay, we'll do a 10-year plan. And in that 10-year plan, we'll do it at some point, but you manage your pot, you manage yours, and we'll get there in time. There's some trusts that are doing it. Three. Three out of 46. And some people have not got 10 years to wait. So we're going to keep fighting until we get it. And equal to our heterosexual counterparts, there's heterosexual people still under their trust missing out. So we all get access or no one gets exactly. access. Exactly. The postcode know? lottery needs Absolutely. to be gone. Thank you. That's so much, Laura Ray. Carla, being that you are sort of at the beginning of this journey, if you want to call it that hideous word, have you gained some hope, especially, I guess, from Krina listening yeah, to I her? Yeah, I mean, my journey will hopefully be surrogacy, so I'll definitely be coming to see you in a little while. Um, but yeah, I've definitely kind of given me a little bit of hope. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Let's All Talk Fertility, the podcast brought to you by The Fertility Show. We hope you found this session useful. Thanks again to Randox Health. And remember, if you want some money off one of their female health tests, head over to Randox Health now and enter the code EVERYWOMAN at checkout to give you 10% off any test you need. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed it, please give us a good review and share with those who you think will benefit. But for now, thanks for being here and see you for the next one.